The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. We got a Fed meeting uh, on Wednesday. A lot of folks are going to be paying very close attention to that. Let's check in with Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer and co-founder of Defiance ETFs. Sylvia, thanks so much for joining us here. You know, a lot of folks are saying, boy, these guys, these folks are going to be very hawkish here come Wednesday. What are your expectations? Hi, good morning. Well, I, I think like everyone else, I'm very curious to see what what uh, Fed Chair Powell will, ha will have to say on Wednesday. You know, the recent meetings have given us an indication that, you know, the tone is a little bit more hawkish and we're talking about perhaps doing, you know, sort of more tapering more quickly. And, um, you know, perhaps there's a debate about rate hikes, whether or not they will come sooner than we expected. So, you know, I'll just be kind of listening in to see, um, you know, what, what the tone is and whatnot. But, you know, all in all, if we take a step back from it, I think that, you know, we do have this inflation issue, but we also have an expanding economy. We have, you know, just a, a massive surplus of liquidity in the markets. And, and I think, you know, the, the point here for the Fed is that, the economy is sort of strong and on the way up. We had this this good unemployment number, 4.2%. Perhaps it is appropriate to sort of pump the brakes because we mm. don't need as much fiscal and monetary stimulus. So, um, you know, there, there's two sides to that, too. How much can the economy take in terms of rate hikes? I mean, I don't mind um, if the market is telling us with the flat yield curve that inflation goes away, but I don't want growth to go away. Yeah, I don't want growth. To, I don't want growth to go away either. Um, so, you know, I, I think though that if you if you look at some of the top growth companies um, out there right now and and look at the amount of sort of cash that they have on the balance sheet, uh, you know, and, and you sort of like think about where we've been in the last couple of years and and you know some of the issues in terms of like the economy be, being hit and. You know, massive parts of the economy still haven't recovered, supply chain issues. I just wouldn't expect the Fed to sort of come crashing in and do aggressive rate hikes really quickly. I, I would anticipate that they would be slow and steady. And, and if they are sort of slow and steady, you know, in that case, the growth growth firms are, are you know, they're, they're well capitalized, they're well funded, they have balance sheets. I don't think it's going to be a huge impact for them if it goes in an orderly fashion. So, Sylvia, given that background, the background for the Fed, for rising rates, for inflation, transitory, maybe not, what is your kind of base case outlook for 2022? How are you approaching this new year? Yeah, so I actually project that 2022 is going to be a positive year. I think the consumer is strong. There's that, you know, there's trillions of dollars of, of savings on the sidelines that will either come into spending or, or will come into the market. Um, I, I think that we're we're sort of learning how to live with the various variants. They'll probably with, be with us going forward, but 
you know, we've sort of adapted. I think that some of the supply chain issues will sort of shake out. And, you know, companies are flush with cash, as we said, and they're spending it. We have, um, you know, a record level of buybacks coming back in, capital expenditures, um, the you know, employment numbers good. So I, I think that, you know, you're going to see a lot of growth, particularly in, in some of these, you know, hot new disruptive sectors. So I think that, for example, quantum computing um, and, and the metaverse are going to be two sort of hot topics that people are going to invest in. And investing in that means looking at things like, you know, semiconductors, cloud computing, cybersecurity, AI, AR, you know, ETFs or single stocks that sort of play in those different spaces. 5G is going to be something that has um, a huge opportunity as, as Washington continues to invest there. I think the reopen trade that um, you know, has, has, has sort of just like flipped along is going to, to really start to grow, you know, due to Delta Omicron and the general COVID headwinds. I, I think that that trade hasn't really worked yet. And, you know, travel is about $9 trillion of the global economy. Half of that went away during COVID and we're nowhere near that now. So I think that, you know, once we sort of see full-fledged travel, um, hotels, casinos, um, cruise ships and airlines will benefit from that. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot, there are a lot of really great places to put your money. And I just think overall that the market is, is again, just flush with cash and, and will just generally be, be sort of like liquid and the right place to be in terms of equity exposure. Me and Paul are going on a cruise sure. as soon as Omicron has passed <laughs> and uh, hopefully we don't see Omega. What about um, healthcare? What do you think about healthcare, Sylvia? Yeah, so healthcare, I think, is um, healthcare will be a good portfolio diversifier. You know, if we, we always advocate for the barbell approach, right? You want some some level of defensive exposure in the portfolio, and and I always you know throw healthcare into that bucket because I think it's something that um, is you know it's sort of consumed whether or not the market pulls back, right? And you have all of these sort of advancements and um, you know different mergers now. You, you heard about the, the the Pfizer merger today, and I, I just think that there's going to be consolidation. I think there's going to be sort of better use of cash. You know, we've had this backdrop of like fast track FDA approvals, um, and you know it's 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 interesting. I have a husband who's, who's deeply involved in research and medicine, and has said that you know the COVID vaccine is either going to COVID is either going to be looked at as the biggest disaster of our time, or you know an absolute modern miracle in terms of how fast research trials and things came out to pump out yeah. vaccines. So, you know, we'll see how, how much that continues. And, and um, yeah, so I, I do think it's always good to be positioned there. Sylvia, thank you so much for joining us and sharing uh, your thoughts. We always appreciate getting your time. Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer, co-founder of Defiance ETFs. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The new variant in town these days is Omicron, uh, and governments and cities all around the world are trying to figure out, and companies for that matter, are trying to figure out how to respond. Let's get the latest from Dr. Pervy Parikh, pediatric allergist and immunologist at Allergy and the Asthma Network. Uh, Dr. Parikh, thanks so much for joining us here. Omicron, we've, it's been in our midst here for several weeks here. What do we really know, and how concerned should people be? about this new variant? 
Right, right. And thank you for having me. So, you know, when news first broke, there was a lot of concern, you know, given the number of mutations that this variant carries compared to previous ones. But in the last few weeks, we've actually had reassuring news, one of which is that, you know, luckily, majority of the cases have been mild. Um, so we haven't been seeing increase in deaths, increase in severe disease or hospitalizations. And the other good news is that we have um, evidence that, you know, those who are vaccinated are well protected um, against the severe disease and hospitalizations. And then those who go on to receive their booster are in even better shape, you know. Um, so so we have more information now and this variant may be more trans, transmissible, uh, sorry, transmissible or contagious. But the good news is it doesn't appear so far to be more dangerous. And also it appears our vaccines are still very effective against yeah, we were talking uh, this morning with an epidemiologist from the UK who said um, this this variant doesn't seem to care whether or not you're vaccinated. I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. talking about people who are necessarily boosted, but who had the first two shots and assuming in right. the UK that was months ago. Um, does it make a difference whether or not you're vaccinated when it comes to the severity of the disease? Right. So that we we still don't know the exact answer to. Right. Because we want to see how many people uh, unvaccinated get this variant versus those who are vaccinated. And if there is a difference in the severity. And and frankly, we just don't have that data yet. Um, But, you know, whatever drop in antibodies that we did see in those who are fully vaccinated, that it was well compensated for with that booster dose. So, um, you know, and different studies have shown different amounts that have decreased. So I know one study showed a 40-fold drop in that neutralizing antibody. Another study showed a 25-fold drop. But the nice thing is with that booster dose, it kind of compensated for that drop. And, um, you know, everyone talks about these antibodies, but it's so much more than that. You know, our immune system has T-cells that help us remember and fight off infections. And it looks like those cells are still quite efficacious in keeping people out of the hospital, even with this new variant, and preventing death. Um, Whether vaccinated versus unvaccinated makes a big difference, we'll find out soon enough. I know in South Africa, they had some data showing that people who recovered from COVID were more likely to catch this variant if they had not been vaccinated versus those who were. So there may be something there and that the vaccine is still more helpful. But we, we again, we're building the plane as we're flying it. So hopefully as that data comes in, we'll have better answers the next few weeks. Doctor, is I guess the new normal, at least for the foreseeable future, is that given that there's so much of the world's population that is unvaccinated or not fully vaccinated, that these variants are just going to be a way of life going forward? Yeah, you know, I think we should accept that uh, COVID-19 is here to stay, just like so many other coronaviruses. You know, the common cold is a coronavirus, and we don't think twice about, you know, getting a cold in the wintertime or what have you. Um, So I think it is here to stay, but um, the good news is I think we have much better tools to deal with it. Uh, And eventually, hopefully, we can reach that concept where enough people have been exposed that the virus just continues to become milder and milder, similar to you know, the more common coronaviruses that our bodies have become used to over the last, you know, few decades or hundreds of years. Um, but, you know, uh, again, I think we're in much better shape than we were two years ago where we were all naive to this virus. Uh, now we have excellent vaccines and we have excellent therapeutics, too, even if you do happen to get sick. Um, I have been 
I hate wearing a mask. It gives me mask me. <laughs> and right, I don't, everyone does. <laughs> I don't uh, breathe terribly well in them, et cetera, on so vital. But uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought I was only wearing a mask to protect others. Now I hear mm-hmm. that if I wear a mask, if it's an FFP2 mask and I wear it properly, I'm protecting myself with the mask. Have you, Have we seen that opinion evolve? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, So much has evolved, right? But we have now very good studies and data that show that it not only protects others, but the user as well, you know, especially if it's a medical grade mask. So now I care. Yeah. So if it's a bandana or like a gator, you may not be providing much protection to yourself. But if it's a surgical mask or or higher, a medical grade mask, you're actually helping yourself, too. And I think that's why we virtually saw no flu cases last year, too. You know, in years prior, flu season always crushed our healthcare system. But uh, last year, there were almost no cases. And it's because everyone was masked up. Everyone was very proactive about getting their flu shot early on, you know, in 2020, even before the COVID vaccine was available. So um, I think, you know, the masking can only help, especially in the winter time. you know, when you're indoors in public places. Outdoors, you don't have to be as stringent, thankfully, because those respiratory viruses don't uh, aren't as contagious outside. Doctor, what's the latest on therapeutics? Uh, if folks do, in fact, become sick, um, what's the latest and what, what should we be looking for in terms of treatments? Yeah, you know, now it's exciting because, um, you know, we have therapeutics both in injection and pill form. So um, Pfizer, you know, has a tablet that's an antiviral that if you take it within the first three to five days, it can reduce your chances of being in the hospital or being very, very ill by uh, over 90%, which is huge. Um, And uh, as does Merck, um, AstraZeneca, they don't have a pill, but they have, um, you know, an antibody cocktail, which given early enough can help prevent you from getting ill. Um, And of course, the Regeneron monoclonal antibodies, which, you know, we've been using for some time, even our last president used that when he became ill. So the key is early treatment. Uh, Timing is everything. Um, And recently, uh, another antibody cocktail got approval for those people who may have had a severe reaction to the vaccine and can't tolerate another dose or can't tolerate a booster or let's say they're immune compromised where they took the shot, but Mm. they just don't mount as good of a response as someone who's not immune compromised. So there's there's so many options out there now, both preventatively as well as once you're already sick, that we're we're in much better shape now than we were before. Dr. Pervy Parikh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate getting your expertise. Pediatric allergist and an immunologist at the Allergy and Asthma Network. Also on the faculty as a clinical assistant professor at NYU School of Medicine. So we always appreciate when we can get experts on the air and help explain all the changes and uh, that uh, this pandemic leads us through. And of course, the discussion over the last several weeks and likely coming forward will be the Omicron uh, and the reactions to that. Let's go to Tim Fury, chairman of the Institute of Supply Management, ISM to the insiders. Uh, hey, Tim, this is the time of year when we'd like to chat with you about your forecasts for 2022. Boy, there's so many moving pieces here. Just give us your top line and then we'll, we'll dig in. Yeah, thanks, Paul, very much. So, yes, twice a year we do a forecast, do a comprehensive forecast here in December. We do an update in May. 
we also look back at uh, the prior year in December to see how well we performed. And we gathered the information both in terms of uh, percent change year over year and also the diffusion index that we use on the PMI, meaning anything over 50 is positive, under 50 is contracting. So, you know, the headline number here is that our manufacturing revenues for 2022 are expected to be up 6.5% by the end of the year, following a 14.1% growth in 2021. So that's really strong, indicates that uh, things will continue at a pretty good pace all the way through 2022. The panel said on the outlook side for the next 12 months, the fusion index of 66, which is a strong number. You know, anything over 60 is really strong. So very positive there. And then from the business comparison standpoint, half one to half two, uh, the panel believes that half one will perform at a 70% diffusion index compared to the end of this year, which is really strong. And half two will be a 63% diffusion index compared to half one. So we're going to be growing as the year goes on, it looks like. But the growth will slow, right? I mean, when we look at the flattening yield curve, it shows us that investors are, aren't sure that this inflation and this growth is going to stick around at, at the same kind of strength that we're seeing it now. Well, you know, the 62, 63, I think, for the half half two against half one is still pretty strong. Remember, over 50 is, is expanding. So uh, definitely better than half. We're going to perform better in half one of 22 compared to the end of 21. And then again, in half two of 22, it's going to be a pretty strong period. So on the profit margin side, interesting, uh, we, we forecasted that at the end of this year, we saw a contraction in profits compared to the first half. But for the first half of 2022, we see an expansion of profits at a diffusion index of 56. So uh, I know a lot of ups and downs there with labor costs going up, uh, raw material inputs going up. And we, we collect information on that also. Would you like to hear those numbers? Yeah, let it rip. Yeah, so... Uh, so on the labor and benefits side, we, we forecast that uh, the cost of labor will be up 4.7% in 2022. Uh, and last year in December for 2021, we thought it would be 2.7. So you can see an escalating in labor costs and the benefits go with that. So that's a headwind, obviously, for manufacturing. On the employment side, we believe that we grew our employment levels 3.3% in 2021, and we'll grow them a further 1% in 2022. So that's a big question mark because the question really is, is it because they only need 1% more people or because they can't get uh, any more than 1% more people? A lot of stuff you can't get right now. Before um, you worked for ISM, you were at Ryder before that, I think at Tussin. So you know uh, what the supply chain is like firsthand. Do you think that this issue is going to work itself out by the end of next year? Well, transportation has been a big disruptor. Usually it's an enabler when it comes to uh, speeding goods to the next level of assembly. Uh, this year it's been a disabler because there's so many variables in that whole supply chain, as you know. I've uh, been looking very closely at that in the PMI, and we really don't see much recovery before the second half of next year. And the port issues may even continue beyond that due to the, uh, the labor management negotiations on the next contract for the uh, port workers on the West Coast. So, it's going to be interesting. I mean, transportation is remaining very disruptive. About half of my comments in the supplier delivery section last month were transportation-related, the highest I've ever seen. So, you know, I think that, that disruption level is going to continue. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate uh, chatting with you. Tim Fury, Chairman, Institute of Supply Management Business Survey Committee. 
Uh, they get some really good granular data from all folks in the manufacturing sector, in the services sector, and now increasingly important in the transportation and logistics sector. Uh, and we love getting their survey results. And of course, we get the manufacturing and service data from ISM on a monthly basis as well. So we love checking in with Tim Fury. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now let's get over to Michael Cagino, President and Portfolio Manager, the Permanent portfolio family of funds to talk to us about what investors do uh, as we head into a tidal wave of central bank decisions. I guess the Fed is clearly um, first and foremost, or at least uh, for U.S. investors, the most important thing to watch. Michael, what do you expect from Jerome Powell? Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, You know, because of the different directions they've taken over the last few years, pivots or whatever you want to call them, I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, and and we've positioned our portfolio that way. I mean, the, the general sense um, that's been evolving in the last month or so here has been that the Fed has finally recognized that, you know, inflation's not just transitory. They're tapering. Interest rate hikes may come quicker than everybody expected. Um, we're hearing going into the meeting this week that they might even be more dramatic than that um, and quicker on the on the trigger. So, I mean, sure, all that's on the table. Um, the biggest issue is, is you know, the de- to the de- the degree that these aggressive actions are taken, it just slams home the point that they were wrong to begin with. And I mean, and and so you know, I don't know how drastic you want to be because you could easily raise rates too quickly and throw the economy into a recession. Um, but you do have an inflation problem that's real. I mean, anybody that saw the liquidity creation and the velocity of money over the last year and a half or so, uh, I don't know why anybody would be surprised by what we're seeing right now. And and so the question for investors is, yeah, we all know it inflation. We're hearing about it constantly. But what do you do with it to protect your life and your portfolio? All right. So give us, you know, kind of your thoughts there, Michael, as we go into 2022. What are you telling your clients? Well, I mean, you want to try to be reasonable. Um, you know, inflation at some level is a natural byproduct of economic growth. And and so the question, and, and so are rising interest rates, really. And so the question is, at what point does, does that, is what is gradual? What is reasonable? What is sort of a positive from the market growing? And then when, when does it turn negative? Our view has always been that part of this inflation story was structural. Um, yes, part of it is transitory. We would expect inflation to maybe settle down from where it's been going. But I, th- I still think you're looking at a 3 4 you know, 5% number uh, on a longer-term basis. And that's a big difference from where we've been for the last, you know, X number of years and decades. So that's going to necessitate a change in, in thinking. Our view would be to stay diversified, 
Um, markets are moving around, uh, assets, money flows, assets are moving quickly. We would obviously um, want to have some hedges against the declining value of money, um, i.e., say, gold and silver assets. On the bond side, given the risk of rising rates and volatility, um, we would be very short duration, and we are uh, high-quality balance sheets. Um, you know, despite the flattening of the curve, I, I think the real risk would be that the Fed loses credibility, market rates decouple from the Fed's desires, and investors lose confidence and they start selling bonds. Um, if that occurs, then you're going to want to be short. And on the equity side, I think there's, there's always opportunities in equities, but equities are richly valued as an asset class. And certainly, if rates go higher um, and you're dealing with more inflation, other types of companies are going to do better and some are going to suffer. In equities, we would look for companies that have pricing power for their goods and services and also those that have some control over input costs and, say, labor and materials and, and whatever, because those are the things that are going to have some structural inflation built into them. So in terms of the... The growth expectation, what do you see going forward? We just talked to Tim Fiore from the ISM, and he said he thinks growth is still going to remain very strong in the first half, and even in the second half, it's not going to tail, tail off too much. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a prediction one way or the other. That's a reasonable story. Um, the one thing I worry about with respect to growth, I, I do think you're going to have a, a growth story. Um, but it definitely is tempered by what goes on with COVID. COVID has been a risk, you know, since it came out. And, and I think anybody that uh, sort of feels like we're beyond it or we know all the, the, the things that come out of it is really being naive. And I think we're seeing that with the most recent Omicron and, and you know, you're heading into the winter, people getting together, vaccines not being as effective and needing boosters and you know, there's just all kinds of issues there that potentially have risk to economic growth. The other is with respect to, um, you know, cost structure, labor, um, the fact that you've got millions of unfilled jobs, um, and how do you get those jobs filled? Because at some point, that's a limit to economic growth. You, you sort of limit your upside, your ceiling, your capacity. And so I see that as an emerging problem. And, and the fact that you have so many unfilled jobs is definitely adding to um, labor costs and wage inflation, and wage inflation is going up higher than income numbers um, based on the recent data I've seen, and that's a risk as well. Um, so that could limit economic growth. Uh, higher interest rates, interest rate volatility could, could impact growth because your, your lending costs, your borrowing costs go up. Um, so there are risks to the just growth story. And I'm not predicting recessions or, or lower growth stories, but I think you need to think about those in an overall investment strategy. And you do need to worry about things like stagflation, yep. and, you know, the misery index and all those other things. Not saying they're going to happen, but you do have Keep to contemplate them. All right, Michael. lot to think about there. Thanks very much for you taking the time today. We always appreciate that. Michael Cagino, he's a president and portfolio manager, a permanent portfolio family of funds constructive for 2022 but there are some headwinds out there need to be mindful fed coming up wednesday thanks for listening to the bloomberg markets podcast you can subscribe and listen to interviews at apple podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer i'm matt miller i'm on twitter at matt miller 1973 and i'm paul sweeney i'm on twitter at pt sweeney before the podcast you can always catch us worldwide at bloomberg radio 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.